Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast, Igosian Airwaves. This is part three. This episode is part three of three parts that we did with Nick Watts. Nick is a pastor, longtime minister, longtime super summer leader, all these things from the Lubbock area. And we started off with Nick just kind of talking about fun stuff, getting to know him. And that second episode, we talked about depression. And then in this episode, we, we're going to talk about suicide. And I, I want you to know that, that this is super intense. This is super raw. This is super emotional. Uh, Nick, uh, Nick's son, Jordan, uh, took his own life about eight years ago. And Nick's going to tell that story. He's going to walk us through that story on this episode. And the emotions, uh, they're so real. They're so, that's just, you can't get away from that as, as you would expect. And so I wanted you to know that. But I also wanted you to know how thankful I am. I'm so thankful that Nick was willing to do this, that he was willing to take some time to record these podcasts, to do this interview so that we can help people. And that is, man, that is so much a part of the story that, that God is still doing uh, through Nick, through Jordan, through this family. And it's so important. It's so important we talk about it and so important that we, um, we try to understand so that we can help people, so that we can help students, so we can, we can help families. And um, man, that, that's such a big part of this for Nick. That's, I know that he's gonna tell you that in this episode, why he does this and why, why God's leading him to continue to, to tell this story. And this stuff is so helpful. Everything we talk about, it's long. And so you may, you may need to take some breaks and pause throughout, but it's, this is so important and so helpful. And so I'm so thankful that Nick came on and did this. And I'm so thankful to see how God is, uh, is using this guy, this man, his family, his wife, uh, to, to point people to Jesus and to point people to hope that there's always hope because of Jesus. So this is episode 17 with the one and only Nick Watts, Igosian Airwaves. Let's get started. guys welcome back to igosian airwaves the official podcast whatever that means of igo global and this is part three now we started with like we thought we'll do two parts with nick watts from lubbock texas but two parts cannot contain this man you you can't you can't contain him you can only hope to but no one can and nick i'm so glad that you're back for the third part and that man Thank you so much for being here again. Lance, it's my pleasure. I thank you again for addressing this topic. Yes, uh, we we wanted to have you on because, I, well, I knew you'd be a great podcast guest. Like you you got so much going on, so much life. There's so many, so many tools in your tool belt, bro. Like all the things like you're a blogger, you're a revival preacher, you're <laughs> a youth ministry icon, you're a worship leader you're a super summer leader you're a community leader you're you're a electric fence tester like, oh man yes yes 
<laughs> yeah, Nick has some stories, y'all. Oh, and, man, uh, yes, that's very true. They are good. But we wanted to have you on to spe- specifically to talk about this topic that, Nick, Nick, you know this better than anybody. It's so, so important. It's always important, but in this last year, it feels like it's just elevated. Like the importance of talking about depression, oh, talking man. about suicide. Mm-hmm. We need to, as we're, as we're trying to help students, you know, own their faith, live out their faith, share their faith. Like we have to be ministering to all the student, the whole student, and we have to know what they're going through and what they're really dealing with. And so many students are battling depression. It's, it's, it's a big time problem. And Nick, you agreed to come on last, our last episode, we talked about depression. This, this one, we're going to kind of move into that link between depression and suicide, talk a little bit more specifically about suicide. And I know that you agreed to come on um, for, for lots of reasons, but I know mainly it's because you have a personal story. Would you, would you just kind of help our audience by telling your story? Of course, Lance. Um, it's a painful story. So I ask you to forgive me. Uh, I, I will get emotional. I always think sure. I won't. It's now been eight years, but uh, it's like, a, I guess, somebody coming back from combat and you have those flashbacks. And they're so real. Mm. So um, depression has really run in my family. I have a, a dad who died of alcoholism 21 years ago. He, he self-medicated with alcohol. I have a sister who died of drug abuse. She's self-medicated in that way. Um, and then um, really, I was diagnosed with clinical depression back in the late 90s. And it has been quite an education for me over the years. Um, I, I get it. I get the suffering that comes with this thing we know as clinical depression or major depressive disorder. Well, I have three children. Um, my wife's name is Michelle. And then we have Kelsey, our oldest, uh, Jordan, our middle son, and then Macy, our youngest. I always mention them and show a picture of them. Of course, the picture's from 2012. It's one of the few family photos we have um, uh, left. Um, but because it's not just my story, it's all of our story. Yeah. And yeah. without sounding like I'm preaching, I, I'm not that kind of guy. Um, over time, I have really seen how it's not even our story. It's it's Jesus' story. It's Christ's story of hmm. hope based on truth that helps you not to absolutely go insane. Because now I know how a relatively normal person can go insane. It's a slow burn. So it all began this way. Um, as I said, depression runs in our family. My son, very creative. He's one of those. He's one of those guys, and you. You get this, you guys listening. <clears throat> you have friends who everything they touch must become, it's a palette for them, <clears throat> a canvas of sort. They have to be creating. I remember going on vacation and uh, eating at some place, and he had ordered a probably a cheeseburger or chicken tenders or something. Next thing I know, he has this painting done in ketchup um, <laughs> on his and it's a stupid painting, you know, but it, that was just him. Yeah. Um, his name was Jordan. Um, at the age of about five or six, he very maturely and genuinely placed his faith in Jesus Christ. Jordan had that kind of personality that you, you would equate with a golden retriever. He was so tender hearted 
people were drawn to him. Um, he absorbed the emotion of those around him. Um, and I think that probably burdened him a lot. He would, he would carry the emotion of those around him. And so about, let's see, uh, I want to say he had graduated high school in 2011, Friendship High School, just outside of Lubbock, mm -hmm. and um, had started going to South Plains College. Um, and you know what? I, I'll interject this. College isn't for everybody. Um, the tr of course, the trades are making a huge comeback. And then I know several very intelligent folks who graduated high school, but you know, they just couldn't find their niche in college. Yeah. And so they went to work and came back to pursue a degree of sorts later, 25, 26, 27 years old. And of course, they're a lot more mature by then. They've, they've lived life. And so I want to encourage those students out there, man, don't, don't allow the pressure hmm. to just crush you. You know, this is just what you do. You graduate and go to college, but especially with these craft, um, art, creative genius types of minds, Robin Williams comes to mind, who also took his life, of course. Um, they're, they're unique. They just are. So I tell people uh, creating was to Jordan as oxygen is to us. Um, I think I mentioned last time he was, he had, <laughs> his hair was in dreads. He, <laughs> he um, uh, slept in a, a hammock in his room. It was strung from one corner to the other. He, he turned his lights on and off with the clapper. He, his entire <laughs> room was a canvas. I, yeah. I look back on it now as a dad back then I'd go, Good grief. <laughs> Clean this place up, you know. Right. right. Listen, even now I told you at you know, at a young age, he professed his faith in Christ as this is one of the neat things. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh um, I'm sorry, Lance. Um <clears throat> oh, little Lord's doing it. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um when Jordan was, I think he was 14, we had a swimming pool in our backyard and he rushed into the house one day. I was not there. My wife, Michelle was there. Um, and what he told her was he had, I wouldn't say a Damascus Road experience because Paul had not been, he had never met Christ, but um, he came in and he said, mom, mom, he came out of the water and his hands preceded his head. But as the water drained off of his hands, he told my wife, he said, mom, mom, I know what I'm supposed to do. God told me He's going to use my hands hmm. to save people. And of course, this would be in regard to creating. Yeah. He was a painter. Uh, several of his paintings were on display in Washington, D.C., New York City. He was a sculptor. He played, I think, uh, seven, eight different instruments hmm. proficiently. Um, 
he was just that kind of guy. I, please hear my heart. I'm not bragging on him. I'm trying to help you get to know him. Yeah. So, um, but he wanted to, um, he surrendered his life at that time to global missions. Hmm. And since that time, uh, he had a bunch of these hippie type shoes, the Toms and all kinds of stuff, you know, and, uh, and just, just cool clothes. He was cool. He was a cool cat, man. But I mean, just old raggedy stuff. And, hmm. but all he wanted was to, you give him a Bible and a backpack, drop him off on the coast of Europe somewhere and let him go. That's all he wanted to do. Hmm. And so in time, as several of his friends went on different mission trips, um, maybe through our global, through aim, through uh, other mission endeavors, they asked, they began to ask, can I take his shoes? And so through periods of time, they would send us pictures of them in that, um, far away, um, place with his shoes. And it represented that God was using him still. He was, he was using him to share the gospel around the world. And it just hit me just a minute ago that that's what God's doing at this moment. Yeah. So, cause, cause this story hopefully will help people. Some people choose to live and God is going to use that person as a result of this story. And those people will go into all the world. Okay. So let's go to May 12th, 2013. It was mother's day. Jordan was taking a semester off from school and he, um, uh, was living at home. He was getting ready to move out. He was 19 years old. Um, just a couple of weeks earlier, uh, he said, Dad, I feel like I'm slipping. That was our code word for something's not working with my medicine correctly. And so we immediately got him back to the doctor, got him in counseling, and he was doing great. In fact, Friday before Sunday, they were still planning. <laughs> yeah, I think I mentioned last time, I can't remember, one of, <laughs> one of his goals in life was to get in a fight in a pub in Ireland. You know, And so he said, yeah, I just want to see myself fly out the door. <laughs> He just was that kind of guy. That's hilarious. Uh, and so, and you will, you know, those of you listening, you will see a picture of him with his arms spread open wide as he's in the Colorado mountains. He, he just loved it. Slept outside in the backyard all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he was outside uh, on a Memorial Day weekend. I think it was 2009 uh, when a naked man knocked on my door at 415. That's a story for another time. <laughs> Part four so, coming. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyway, so May 12th, 2013, it was Mother's Day. You know, we said, hey, Jordan was actually attending a different church. Uh, they had a, a bigger um, uh, college department that was specifically missional. That's what he wanted to plug in for. He wanted okay. world evangelism. But I said, hey, man, let's man, let's all go to church together. It's uh, Mother's Day. And so he didn't show up. And we got home. And, I, you know, I'm a dad. I was kind of irritated. Man, Jordan, what's your problem? He didn't look good. But he said he was okay. And so we went and ate lunch together. Um, and then Michelle and myself and my youngest daughter, Macy, my oldest daughter was in school in uh, Tennessee, Nashville. 
uh, we said, Hey, we think we're going to go see a movie. There was some family movie out mm-hmm. and he said, I don't, I don't think I want to go. So he went to um, meet a friend of his for coffee and the friend actually said, Hey man, you want to go to church? They went to the same church. He said, no, I don't feel well. And so he went back home. Well, when we got home, uh, we noticed his car was there. His door was closed, but we, we never thought about a thing. The next day was May 13th, 2013. And that's when our lives changed. Um, we'd all left the house that morning for school and for work. My wife's a school teacher. And about, uh, about one o'clock in the afternoon, my daughter, Macy, who was, I think, in ninth grade at Friendship High School, hmm. she texted me, said, Dad, I can't get a hold of Jordan. I'm kind of worried. And, you know, I thought, well, he's 19. He, Mm-hmm. maybe he was up late and he's still sleeping in who knows and then it's about three she texted back said dad nobody can get a hold of him well as a parent um you know you fear the worst always but you think he's he's probably fine um and i always tell kids uh, students at these schools i talk at um when you're not in class and unable to when your parents call answer the phone. <laughs> we love you. We can't help it. We're always going to think that you're in danger. Yeah. And so um, anyway, so I thought, well, let me run to the house and, and just make sure things are okay. So as a parent, I'm in between being afraid and then, you know, what's he up to? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get home uh, and like a lot of people uh, went in through the garage and into the house and I hollered his name real loud, Jordan. And there was no, there was no, um, no answer. So I went to his bedroom and his door was locked. Now I got to tell you, Lance, it was at that moment that my anxiety shot through the roof Mm. because I'm banging on his door and he's not answering. And so, um, it was really, really weird. He, I ran to the kitchen. I got a knife out of the drawer and cause I thought maybe I can somehow, get that door unlocked. And I came back, I did get it unlocked and I swung it open. And I got to tell you, Lance, that's when, um, well, that's when everything changed. My son had hung himself. Oh gosh. I'm so sorry, Nick. It's okay. Um, The reason I have to tell that is because I want to, I'm not a professional counselor. I'm not a mental health professional. Hmm. What I am is I've been a pastor for many, many years, 38 years. Uh, most of my years I've worked with teenagers and their parents. I'm a dad and a husband with a story. And I want people to understand when I do these things that it costs me. I paid a high price to have any level of authority to talk about this. I want them to know I get it. So after I saw him, I immediately went into insanity. I went over and I grabbed him. His body was, his body was cold. <clears throat> and um, I, I, I thought this has to be a cruel joke. It can't, it can't be real. It has to be a mannequin or something. And then I saw his tattoo on his arm. I realized it was him. So I screamed and went out into the, through the garage, we live on a corner 
and I fell down in the driveway and just started screaming. I'm on all fours and screaming. My son is dead. My son is dead. My son is dead. I'm losing my mind. Hmm. And a, a man in a pickup truck saw me and he pulled in. He said, and I'm still screaming. My son is dead. And so he called 911. I wish I could find that man. Um, but of course, that's when police, fire trucks, EMTs, hundreds of friends. Uh, and then they called my wife and, you know, told her, you, you need to get home. She thought something had happened to me because I was not doing well in regard to depression. Uh, but then when she got home, <clears throat> she was still in the middle of the street in the turning lane. People were everywhere. And I was still on all fours and I was in the grass and I raised my head up when I, to see her. And that's when she knew it was Jordan. And I just screamed, our son is dead. <clears throat> and so then Macy came, you know, and it was all over. It was horrible, Lance. It was horrible. Um, <clears throat> and I, you know, the number one argument for atheism is how could a good God allow such pain? And so I get that. I don't know. I, you know, there's, hmm. there's not a great answer to that question. Yeah. Uh, but I can tell you why atheism failed me because I, I really did. I, I, I really thought I'm going to prove there is no God. And actually I have a blog written on that called why atheism failed me, but it all boiled down to two things. Atheism gave me no place to put my rage, my confusion, my hopelessness, my loneliness, my anger. And it gave me no hope of ever seeing my son again. On the contrary, the cross gave me all of that and more. In fact, my counselor, <laughs> a, a licensed professional counselor, he told me, he said, Nick, what you need to do is in that corner of his bedroom where you found him, you should hang a cross there. And so we probably have 12 crosses hung there now, you know, and, and, uh, and I'm able to walk through there. We changed his room, you know, so it doesn't look like what it used to. Um, um, you know, it's not that room anymore, but those crosses are there. And I, it, now I rejoice, you know, I don't know if he had ever gotten better, Lance, uh, maybe it would have been a battle we fought for years and years to come. I don't know if it was God's mercy. I don't know. And I, we sure don't try to sit around and figure that out. Anyway, <clears throat> I want to interject something. My wife told my daughter, I'm now never forget it as long as I live. And have, have had to apply it many times. As we were there screaming uh, in the yard, I, I was catatonic. Uh, of course, I had that image in my head and um, I, I had touched him. And uh, I thank God Almighty that my wife and daughter weren't the ones to find him. Um, but my, my wife got Macy's face in her hands and pulled her clothes and said, Macy, today we decide what we believe. Hmm. And I've told people many times, you know, uh, on Sunday mornings in classes, whatever, it is easy to sing the songs and quote the verses when life is good. The real test comes when your world has absolutely caved in on top of you. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we see that struggle with Joseph in the Old Testament, with Job, of course, uh, and with so many others, with the, the disciples, you know, after Jesus was crucified and all the persecution anyway. But I've gone back to that many times. Mm-hmm. Today is the day I choose what I believe. And see, you know, I'm reminded of Job's statement, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. So, um, that was the day that changed everything. And, uh, that's, that's the story. Um, I don't go into quite as much detail when I speak to school assemblies, cause I only have so much time, but at least that gives our lit- listeners an opportunity to, uh, to understand that, that I get it. Yeah. Um, and thanks for, thanks for walking through that. And, of course. I know that's, you know, you, you told me every time you tell it, you get emotional. I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't. And I know that that's, that's not an easy thing, but it speaks volumes. Not to me, it speaks so much, not just about your authority on the subject. It, it speaks about how God is using this for at, at least some good purpose, you know, like he's, yeah, Nick, he's doing that through you and your family. And, and I know you see that and you probably need to be reminded of it all the time. And, and it, I do. <laughs> and it probably doesn't even feel worth it sometimes, or maybe most of the times it doesn't feel worth it. But thank you for letting God use you and this story to help. Yes, sir. Out. Yes, sir. I'd like to um, address how how this how suicide is at epidemic levels. Yeah. If I could do that, I, I may have mentioned it last time, but in case you missed that last podcast, it was actually as a youth pastor, all those years, I never really addressed the topic unless there was a celebrity in the news who had taken their life or sure. perhaps a teenager at a local school. Um, and even then it was just, it wasn't addressed deeply because I didn't understand it. Uh, and so, but I do now. Nick, Nick, do you think that that's why? People don't address it because they just don't understand it. They don't know what to say. They're scared of it. Like I, I'm, I'm, I remember I preached at my church. I preached a sermon. We we're just preaching through the books of Act, book of Acts, and I preached on Judas. And I, I, I remember not even hardly talking about suicide in that sermon because I just didn't know what to say and how how do I open that can right? Why why do you think we avoid it so much? Oh, you're spot on, Lance. Um, we don't understand it. We can't possibly understand it. Hmm. And so we don't know what to do with it. And so we just sort of skip that part. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully, you know, by the end of this podcast here, maybe I could offer some insight um, uh, so that people at least could enter into some, some dialogue. Yes. Um, and then of course with the, internet. Um, there are so many resources, but it was right after Jordan died that all of a sudden mainstream media began to, you know, expose this sort of thing, you know, back in the seventies, man, in, in church, you didn't even talk about divorce, you know, right. um, that was sort of the, the taboo back then. And in time, suicide, uh, mental illness, suicide, that will also lose its stigma. Hmm. Um, but even right after Jordan died, Newsweek, front page article called The Suicide Epidemic. 
Why are we killing ourselves? How can we stop it? The next year, the New Yorker magazine headline, The Neglected Suicide Epidemic. The next year, New York Times headline, The U.S. Suicide Rate Surges to a 30-Year High. And then Newsweek uh, in 2016 came up, came, followed up their other uh, article um, with teen suicide is contagious and the problem may be worse than we thought. And so there's a little more um, specif- uh, specified demographic. Yeah. Uh, an interesting um, side note to this demographic, this epidemic is girls age 10 to 14 or 15. Mm. Um, With the advent of the smartphone in 2007, there's been a spike in um, teen suicide girls between 10 and 14 or 15. And I, without question, believe that's because of social media. Guys, typically, not always, typically, we don't deal so much with self-worth related to our bodies. We're not that smart, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they don't want to think that hard. <laughs> the, yes, the woman is definitely the superior yeah. sex, you know. <laughs> but these poor little girls, their bodies are changing far more than ours are. Yeah. Um, uh, so you have puberty, you have the junior high or middle school, which is the cruelest place on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all remember that. Um, and because misery loves company, and I'll talk about bullying here in a minute. Um, but these poor girls, they're looking on social media where it appears everyone is having the best day of their life. Right. You know, everything is sort of brush stroked and, and cleaned up. And, and then they post something and maybe one or two people like it. And they're really watching that thing. And maybe someone takes a cheap shot at them because maybe they don't look like everybody else. Yeah. Well, those things hurt, man. And so I'm going to get to that in a minute. So that's a whole nother demographic. Um, if I could for a moment, just address the 2016 Netflix series, 13 reasons why. Yeah. Um, if you're a youth worker, if you are a public school educator, you know all about this because it was a public school educator who called me. This was in 2016 around April. Um, and I got a call on the phone from a counselor at a school, high school, in a neighboring town. Uh, By that time, it had been three years since uh, Jordan had taken his life. And so they had read some of my stuff and they were aware of it. They called me and said, Nick, have you seen this show, 13 Reasons Why? And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Hmm. We have Netflix, but the thing had just come out. And they said, well, we have two uh, students now that were taking through suicide pro- prevention protocol at the local hospital because they've been triggered by that show. And I said, Oh my goodness. So I went home and I, there's 13 episodes and I watched all 13. Um, the acting was off the chart. Great. The content, the script was absolutely horrible in regard to realistic Um, expectations and life in general. Of course, it's all about this girl, Hannah, who took her life, uh, but left uh, 13 tapes, uh, cassette tapes, you know, for people who had hurt her and in essence contributed 
to her suicide. Now I will tell you, man, that 13th episode, oh my gosh, <clears throat> she slit her wrist. She was in the bathtub. And when her parents came in, like I say, the acting was great. When they saw her, I screamed, lost my mind again. I was triggered, but I wanted to see all of it so I could, so I could speak about it and write about it with an informed frame of mind. So I wrote a blog called Why 13 Reasons Why is Both Dark and Dangerous. Now, Lance, I've never had anything go viral. I write my stuff and, you know, a few people look at it. Again, that blog site is nickwattsoulfood.com, all one word. The show was dark um, because it gave absolutely no hope. Yeah. They even yeah. portrayed the parents and the school counselor as morons. It was dangerous because, sure, probably the majority of those who watched it um, don't deal with depression. Um, they don't have any mental illness. They're not on any medication. But there was a, in other words, they can separate um, reality from fiction, from Hollywood. However, there was a huge demographic of those who were suffering. And they became Hannah in this series. And, you know, some people may say, well, yeah, but is anybody going to act on it? I got, let me answer that. I got a note from a dad in Indiana who said, my dearest friend has a son, 15 years old, who just took his life. And he left a number of letters to those he felt contributed to his suicide. Now, that's just one that I know of. And so this thing, well, it's not just me as a, you know, if people want to say, well, you're just a preacher guy. No, I'm not. I'm a dad, man, who, who, who found his son hanging from the ceiling in a noose. I get it, man. And so um, uh, every educator. I mean, all over the Dallas-Fort Worth area, all over the country, they were denouncing this series. Right. Um, and that series came under so much um, vitriol because it was extremely irresponsible. And I looked, and I, I looked to see if any of the producers um, had a loved one who had taken their lives, and none of them did. They just didn't get it. They would have never, ever put that together had they done that. Anyway, so uh, if they want to um, access that blog, it's the only blog I've ever had go viral. It was viewed well over 200,000 times huh. in over 50 countries. Uh, obviously, it was shared many, many times. And, of course, it was a hot topic back then. And, you know, the local news stations got a hold of me. And um, it was always hard. Because that was only three years removed from finding my own son. But all I just knew, in fact, after I finished that 13th episode, it was on a Saturday night, like at nine o'clock. I screamed, you know, we got through it. I got in my car, drove straight to my office and wrote that blog. Hmm. It was like, I've got to tell people. I've got to tell them if you've got a mentally ill child. I mean, I, I, that term is, it sounds pejorative. It's not. It, it doesn't mean you're cuckoo. It just means you're you got some illness, the brain's kind of broken, it's misfiring, right. you just need some help. That, that's all it is, man. I, I get it. I'm with you. I am one of those. Um, but I would tell the parents, number one, I, I would recommend no one watches it. 
But of course, then if you say that, everybody wants to watch it. (laughs) So I would tell the parents, okay, just watch it with your child. Hmm. Insist on that. If you suspect in any way that they are struggling with any level of depression, you make sure you watch it with your child and talk about each episode when you're done. So that's my, you know, that's my comments on that. Yeah. So I mean, the, all that really helps paint that picture of the seriousness of this, the, like you, you use that term epidemic mm. and mm. you know, that, that, that show of, you know, I mean, it was so reckless, like you said, it's providing a path, you yes. know, almost a roadmap for kids that are struggling. Like here, it romanticized suicide. Yeah. Hey, the Huffing, Huffington Post, which is a very liberal publication, said what they did, they took suicide and put lipstick on it and tried to make it look pretty. Uh, It was the most irresponsible thing I've ever seen. Now, had I not lost my son to suicide, would I have been as vigilant? Probably not. Hmm. But I didn't choose this ministry, Lance. (laughs) Right, right. I I would not wish this Mm -mm. on my worst enemy. And a couple of people come to mind that I really don't like, you know, (laughs) but I would never, it's a parent's worst nightmare. Yeah, for sure. Um, You mentioned the blog, just listeners. So you'll know, you can go to uh, our website, igoglobal.org and go to our blog and there'll be a, a post about this episode with links to Nick's blog. So that'd be maybe your easiest way to find it, but you can obviously nickwattsoulfood.com we will link to it on our social media posts i know that that's right. not the only helpful thing on there i've uh, there's a lot of helpful stuff and maybe that one was the most viral but there's other things that have really helped some people they can type there. suicide into the uh, the yeah. search window and and a number of blogs will come up in yeah. fact well i'll mention another one here in a minute yeah we'll we'll, we'll talk about it because the awareness is huge. We, we, we need to be aware. We, got, we can't avoid addressing it. We can't avoid talking about it. So I want us to like see how far we can go as far as helping people um, sure. in an episode like this. And, I, and at the end, we'll point to even more resources. And we did even in that last episode, but like, I, I, want, I want to hear from you as much as possible. We talked about depression. We're talking more about suicide. It seems kind of obvious that these are linked, but can you connect those dots for us so we know kind of what we're looking at, what we're what we need to be aware of as far as de- the link between depression and suicide? Yeah, absolutely. Mental health professionals um, state that depression is the most common mental condition associated with suicide for obvious reasons. Um, if it is actual clinical depression, not situational depression right. that we all go through. You know, we all have a blah day or we're bummed out or we're just, we're discouraged. You didn't get into the college you want to go to. You get fired from your job. Ran into Mike Martindale. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're forced to sit and eat lunch with Ed Lowe. You oh, know, yeah. yes. See, we're already depressed, right? Situational depression. Defined. <laughs> yeah. Um, the clinical depression means something's broken. Mm -hmm. Praying more is not going to help it. Reading your Bible more is not going to help it. No spiritual discipline is going to help it any more than praying more is going to help your broken arm heal without going to a physician um, or an, an emergency room and getting a cast. It is a legitimate documented malady 
um, that anybody with any level of intelligence understands. And so to, to make fun of it in any way, to invalidate it in any way is dangerous and hurtful. And so, but that it, that sort of uh, downward spiral through clinical depression or major depressive disorder leads to the last stepping off point, which is hopelessness. Mm. So within depression, it is that downward spiral down the rabbit hole to hopelessness. And that's, sure. you know, and let me, let me make clear, this is also from mental health professionals and I, I'll always notate that. So you can kind of differentiate between what I've learned from experience and what I've learned from workshops that I've attended. Hmm. Um, but at one workshop, the, the, the axiom was, and they, they mentioned this over and over again, people who attempt suicide don't want to die. They simply want the pain to stop. Hmm. Now that hit me because I saw it. I could see it in the greater context of my son. I, with all my heart, believe he just wanted to go to sleep hmm. because his brain was broken. The neurons, the synapse, things weren't firing. Right. He had no connection to the logical part of his brain. Hmm. And I tell people who foolishly say that, well, he just took the coward's way out, uh, took their life. I realize all suicide is not attributed to mental illness. There may be those who got caught in a crime or something and they just, they didn't want to deal with the consequences, but I don't think that's the norm. I think that's the exception, but in the mind, the, the broken mind of these people, they, uh, they, they see it as a great courageous, a brave act because, um, they'll no longer be a burden to their family, you know? Um, and in their mind, because it's broken, that, that makes sense to them. And so my son probably wanted to go to sleep and, but he just could not understand that he would never wake up again. That's the, that's the connection from depression to suicide. Yeah. And that's very helpful because it does seem like, okay, yes, of course, those are connected, but even how you defined it, like all that, all that's so helpful. Earlier, we talked about how so many people don't want to address it because they don't understand it. One of the things that mm -hmm. makes it hard to understand is misconceptions that are out there, myths that are out there. People have false beliefs about sure. it anyway. So can you talk us through some of those that you've learned through your experience and through obviously Absolutely. the professionals? Absolutely. If I could, and you may want to link this on, on your site, we'll do it. Um, in regard to that, that statement, people who attempt to take their life don't want to die. Hmm. They just want the pain to stop. There is a video I use in my presentations called I jumped off the golden gate bridge. And this man, this young man, he's an adult. He tells his story of catapulting himself off the Golden Gate Bridge, which is sadly a, a common place for people to take their lives. Oh, wow. He was one of the very few, he tells it in detail, he was one of the very few to survive. Um, but he says this, he says, no one can know, but the moment my hands left that railing when he catapulted himself over, 
I thought, I don't want to die. Hmm. It's, it's just, it gives you so much insight to these people who are hurting so deeply. Uh, yeah, I have a, I actually got this myths versus facts from a, a workshop I attended uh, at Texas Tech. And so these are myths. <clears throat> Once suicidal, always suicidal. Hmm. Now, to be totally transparent, full disclosure, um, <laughs> hopefully this helps people who sincerely, uh, who are Christians, if they've ever thought they're truly losing their mind or um, have had to have severe help, hopefully it'll make them feel better because I get it. Two years after my after I found my son, I I had made a plan to go see him. It's it's a weird, it's a strange thing, Lance. Um, I still had two daughters, my wife, but all I could focus on was the child I'd lost. Sure. And I sure. wanted to go see him. So it was a it was a horrible horrible time, uh, and I I fell into absolutely crippling depression. So this would have been July of 2015. As a result, my awesome wife, who loves me enough to love me in a tough way, I had gone home on, I don't know, some evening and had gone to bed at 6 p.m. All I wanted to do was sleep. Hmm. Next thing I know, she's waking me up at probably about seven in the evening. And she said, Nick, I need you to come to the living room. And I was very irritated and said, why? She said, uh, my boss, my pastor, and a couple of my closest friends were in there to do an intervention. And so I got up and went in there. I was very angry, as most people are when they go, when they're sure. the subject of an intervention. And um, they said, we're taking you to the emergency room. And I said, no, you're not. They said, yeah, you're going. So I ended up going there. I was furious. But I ended up um, receiving a wonderful 10-day stay at the uh, psychiatric ward at our local hospital. Hmm. Um, I was strapped to a gurney. I was um, uh, rolled through these huge metal doors. I was on lockdown. I heard them slam behind me. Uh, the cinder block walls. Um, the furniture in the day room that was all bolted to the ground. Um, it was, it was a humiliating experience at first, but the reason I share it now is because it saved my life. Hmm. My, my point is I was suicidal then I'm not now. Yeah. So once suicidal, always suicidal is a myth. And that I want that to be great hope. To yeah, people that is who may be listening who think I am not going to make it. Yes, you are. Let us in. Let us help you. Talk to us, please. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. There is help and there is hope in abundance. And I'm, I'm telling you, yes, I've talked to people who have been in horrible lockdown situations, but at least the one here in Lubbock uh, coming to hospital, it was outstanding. Hmm. They were kind. They were validating, and um, it saved my life, Lance. It really did. Now, I will say it took me a full year after I got out of there, a full year to regain any self-worth. It, it was a hard time. You know, it just was. But it saved my life. Um, number two, a myth is that talking about suicide is a bad idea. 
So that's what we're doing here. We're talking about it. Yeah. And I always tell students now, if that's all you talk about, that's a horrible idea, <laughs> you know, but, right. but don't be afraid to address the topic when it needs to be addressed. It's, it's not a taboo. There is no stigma or there shouldn't be um, because even the mainstream media is talking about it. And so the mm -hmm. church surely shouldn't shy away. Number three, and there's only five of these. Number three, only people with mental disorders are suicidal. Well, I kind of touched on that a minute ago. There are some folks who just take their life because they're running from something. But without question, the vast majority would be those who are suffering from some sort of mental illness. Number four, people who talk about suicide do not mean it. Well, it's, it's been interesting, Lance. Um, my son never, never forecasted um, him taking his life. We have our own theories and it has to do with him running out of medicine and so forth and so on. Um, and because during the autopsy, they found hardly a trace of it in his system. So anyway, we have our theories, but, um, I talked to many people who they had no idea that their loved one, their friend was even thinking about this. My wife, again, I was still absolutely useless. I, I couldn't even talk to people. But she immediately, you know, our wives are the strong ones. So she immediately met with every one of his dearest, closest friends. Um, and, you know, teenagers, especially, they're going to tell their friends far more than they're ever going to tell their parents. Right. And she asked them, and th these were friends of ours, too. I mean, um, we didn't know them like Jordan knew them, but, but she asked them, did you see anything? Did you ever hear anything? And every last one of them said, we didn't, we never saw a thing. Hmm. Um, but those people who talk about suicide, number one, even if they're just trying to get attention, they need to be, uh, they need a lesson uh, in, in knowing that we're always gonna err on the side of caution. This is to be taken absolutely seriously. And if you're trying to get attention, do it some other way next time. I remember being at a youth yeah. camp as a youth pastor. And if any kid said, I'm going to kill myself, well, we called their parents right, that, right then to come get them. Um, and if they were trying to get attention, then they won't do that again. But if they, uh, if it's serious, then hopefully we just saved a life. So I tell parents all the time who call me and Lance, my wife and I, it's almost become a, not a full-time job, but definitely a part-time job of counseling parents uh, of suicidal or depressed children um, uh, did that yesterday. I, it, it happens all the time. And half the time when I get home after work, my wife's on the phone with somebody uh, trying to help them. Um, and my wife actually has gone to the physician with some uh, young people who have been suicidal, but they're too embarrassed to go. Hmm. They, they don't want to admit it. And so she's gone with them. So you always err on the side of caution is what I tell parents, because you have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. Might they be furious with you? Of course, let them, let them be mad. They'll get over it. And it, it is very possible you saved a life. The last thing uh, myth is that someone who is suicidal wants to die. And I've already addressed that. They really don't. They just want the pain to stop. Man, that's really helpful. And you, you already touched on it, and I wanted to ask this. 
so someone has confessed or to you that they've thought about it mm-hmm. or maybe they've even already attempted it. Sure. What, what, is, what are the ways that we need to respond to that? And you've kind of already talked about some of that, like if you think it might be attention, give them a lesson, but what if you think it's not? What if you think, man, this, yeah, this is, this is serious. How do you respond to that? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you exactly what I do. It happened at one of my talks. Um, this actually was at a church. I, most of them have been at schools, but I've spoken at a few churches as well. And a girl came up afterwards. Um, she was with her grandparents and um, they said, you need to talk to him, which meant me. And she said she wanted to take her life. And I told the grandparents, I said, number one, you get her to the hospital right now. Don't take your eyes off of her until you get her there. Um, I said, where are her parents? They're at home. I said, go to her parents right now. Tell them what is going on. And you get her. If you can somehow stay in her presence until you can get her to your physician. Okay. Otherwise, you take her to the hospital right now. Hmm. And so that's what I do. I was at a school um, just north of Lubbock one time. And um, after my talks, I love it because the kids want to visit and, you know, it's an emotional time and they've, you know, they live in this social media world. Uh, and so they want to visit. And one girl said, I have a friend here at, at this high school who has told me she wants to kill herself. And I said, here in this high school? She said, yeah. I said, I want you to go right over to that counselor right there and tell her. She said, right now? I said, yeah, if you don't do it, I'm going to go with you. And so, you know, and I told that girl, bless her heart, that your friend may be furious at you, Hmm. but it may save her life. You know, let her be mad. So that's what I tell people to do. It's just pretty darn simple. And I've told them that many, many times. If you sense that they are in um, immediate risk of danger, personal harm, you take them to the hospital right then. And and your physician, something. Physician, you're, you, when you say hospital, you mean just go to the hospital, like the ER, ER hospital. Yes. Yeah, even when I was taken right. there that day after intervention, you were all, they put you on what's called the fast track. That's, That's when uh, they put you in a room, give you all your paper clothes, you know, take away your shoes with the shoestrings. And um, I mean, these, they, even they understand it is um, of utmost, it's, it's very urgent. Yeah, that's really good. So you're out speaking and, and you, you know, these doors that you didn't want to open, but they've opened for you. You get to speak about this. You get to minister to people. You get to counsel people and people are coming up to you after this and they're asking you questions. What, what are some of the common questions you get, Nick? Lance, it varies. Um, probably most of them has to do with, you know, they'll come up and they'll say, I have a friend or a loved one who took their life. Um, what should I do? How, how can I help the family? Um, should I talk about the person who, who took their life? So the answer to both those questions is you can go on my blog and I, I have a blog called, you know, what did we need? What do they need? Cause I've been asked that so many times, you know, what, what do families need? I mean, during those early days for us, oh my gosh, the people came over, they mowed our lawn, they did our laundry. They, um, fixed my storm door that had a broken latch on it. They, one lady come over, she said, I, I don't know what else to do. Can I clean your windows? It, practical things. Hmm. Yes, there is also the ministry of presence. <clears throat> you know, I've mentioned with Job's friends who 
got it right for seven days and then they opened their mouths and everything went downhill. <laughs> but when you just sit with people, definitely never ever offer a cliche, some sort of bumper sticker theology. There is no answer. Psychologists call grief associated with suicide complicated grief because there's no one to blame. There's no explanation. You, you can't wrap your mind around it. The pain is unspeakable. And so don't go in there and say, this was God's will, or God did this. Heaven needed another angel. I'm telling you what, man, early on, if someone told me that, I was going to get them, give them the right hand of fellowship right in the upper lip. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't need any sermons. What you can do, just sit with them, cry with them, chuckle with them. If they, if they think of something, you know, funny about their loved one or whatever, but you just be there. You don't have to say anything. And that's one of the, the mistakes. We always feel like we have to say something. Right. No, you don't. In fact, most of the time, it's better not to say anything. So ministry of presence, and then also just practical things, man. I had a former youth mow my lawn that entire summer. It was just something they, they could do. Because you know, it's all I can do just to get out of bed and, and breathe. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, another one, this has been asked so many times, even in public school. I've had uh, students come up afterwards and ask this. They'll say, does a person who dies by suicide go to hell? Because I have heard that. Hmm. My friends, number one, here's the short answer, an emphatic no. In fact, not only does the Bible never say that, search all 66 books of the canon of scripture, it preaches and teaches the exact opposite. The only unpardonable sin is unbelief. Um, where did that come from, that, that whole lie? It's really a satanic lie. Um, it came from the very corrupt medieval Roman Catholic Church. Back then, they would manipulate the people with um, different doctrines because they were using the Latin Vulgate at the time. No one could read Latin except the uh, the clergy, the papacy, the, the more educated. And so they could tell the people whatever they wanted to tell them, it said. And so this is how the doctrine of purgatory began. Mm -hmm. Purgatory, the word purge, come from that. Now, this is not a biblical doctrine. Now, with all due respect to my Catholic brothers and sisters, within the 66 books of the canon of scripture, it is never ever taught that there's a place, a, an intermediate place called purgatory, where uh, you are as a dead person and your loved ones can do good deeds and somehow purge you from this intermediate hell, heaven type thing. And you go on to be with Jesus. Um, if you remember Jesus on the cross told the thief today, you will be with me in paradise. There's no, there's no intermediate place, but what the papacy did at the time, the church leaders, they convinced everyone that the unpardonable sin was murder. In other words, everybody else can go to purgatory and hopefully be purged out of that as their loved ones give money to the church and, right. and help the church and all that kind of stuff. It was all manipulation. However, if your loved one uh, ever murdered someone, they're hopeless. Hmm. So, Suicide, by technicality, is murder of yourself. Hmm. And so that whole satanic lie has lingered 
for five centuries, for six centuries uh, and beyond. So there is not one thing biblical about it. You think about murder. Well, who else would be in hell? Uh, Moses, <laughs> David, uh, Paul, <laughs> Samson. You know, he pushed the things aside and killed, I don't know, 3,000 wow. people at the time. And, so, and it, this brings up another good thing, uh, Lance. When you talk about mental illness, well, that's an illness. That's a disease. Yeah. And so people who die of mental illness, you, you can't even really categorize that as murdering themselves. So the whole thing just is self-defeating. And I want to remind um, your listeners of what Paul wrote. He said in, in Romans, he said, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, things present or things to come, powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, parenthetically, this would include suicide, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, according to the testimony of Scripture itself, nothing has the power to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, regardless of the manner in which we meet him face to face. I want to um, note that I also have a blog titled Suicide and the Bible. I wrote that four months after I found my son. And listen, the reason I started blogging was for my own therapy. But that blog's been read over 55,000 times. Um, so people can understand, number one, there are seven suicides in the Bible. Most people just, they think about Judas, but there are six others in the, in the Old Testament. I want to qualify and say just because the Bible records something doesn't mean God approves it. And there are much more heinous things in scripture recorded than uh, people taking their lives. So in other words, just because the Bible records it does not mean, oh, well, that means I can go out and do it. The Bible records a lot of horrible things. That doesn't mean God approves it. And I want, again, to remind people, if you're in any way in a dark place, you have thought about taking your life, there is help and hope in abundance. And I, I hope you would please, please reach out to someone immediately. Nick, I love how you answered that question. I, I'm glad you said it. Like, that's the question I hear all the time. I've been hearing since I can remember about that. If it ever, ever comes up, it's like people are so confused about that, which yes, yes, I, I get it. I get why you know, suicide is such a unique thing and people are like, okay, I don't know. I understand. So maybe, but like, it, it scares me a little bit as a pastor, right? Because ultimately what you've done is you've, you've misunderstood what Jesus accomplished on the cross, you know, yes. like <laughs> he, he, he's covered all of it and yes. he's paid the penalty for all of it. And so, yeah, I love how you explain that. That's, that's so helpful. And man, I love how you just keep you keep bringing up these resources, so much stuff on your blog that's helpful. I know that you have good, tons good. of other resources. Um, like if if someone, not resources and you and, and all that stuff, let me, let me kind of roll a bunch of questions into one just for fun. Sure, brother. Uh, I was talking... I was talking to two people that listened to the second episode that we did with you, the one where we yep. talked about depression, and they asked me this question, like, do you think Nick would come and speak at our camp? 
to students about this. And I'm like, Nick, Nick's been around a lot of youth camps. And I, I don't <laughs> think sure he's got have, tired man. of them yet. So <laughs> like if people want more help from you or they're just looking for the best resources out there, what, what, what can they do, man? I don't want to give out your phone number, but I, I, I will, or we'll just give out yeah. Ed Lowe's and tell them it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, if you want to have a camp where no child will ever come back to church, please have Ed come speak. <laughs> <laughs> hey, seriously, seriously. And I, I hope everybody knows Ed's one of my dearest yes. friends. I love him with all my heart. Um, uh, yes, I would be honored because that's a part of this ministry um, that that the Lord has assigned my family that we would never have chosen. Um, it's painful, but you know what? Carrying a cross does. Uh, we all have, you know, Jesus said, if you do not if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me without well, sometimes that cross hurts, man. Um, but of course it hurt Jesus in an infinite, uh, way beyond what we can comprehend, but I'd be honored. And of course, because you're such a dear friend, longtime friend. Yeah. You hand out my number to anyone. They can also email me at Nick at baconheights.com. Yes, sir. And bacon Heights is one word, Nick at baconheights.com. So they can shoot me an email as well. Church with bacon in the name's got to be good. <laughs> it has to, man. It has to. No, uh, yeah. I, I love how accessible you are and how open you are to helping people. And um, we will, we'll give, we'll give them ways to contact you because um, it, it, it's what, you know, it's way beyond your story, Nick. It is the authenticity that, that you lead with. Like you, you have walked through this, but you're so real. You're so honest. And that that's what people need, man. I, I need it more than the professional that has all the answers. Sometimes I need the guy who's like, sure, I'm just going to oh. be real with you. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course, Lance. So man, we've, we've beat this up pretty good, but like, I, there's gotta be other things. Like what else would you like to say to our audience about this topic? Like what, well, what any else students out there? Yeah. Any students yeah. who are listening and youth pastors, yeah. oh, gosh, anybody, parents, let me address this bullying thing real quick. Oh yeah, Bullying is different today than it was when I was a kid. If I went home when I was a child and said, cried to mom, everybody hates me. And mom says, who's everybody? Well, maybe that's two or three kids. Maybe mm-hmm. today, everybody hates me. Who's everybody? Well, it's about a, hundreds and hundreds of people on social media who have filleted my self-worth and have piled on it's that whole predatory mentality from nature the the pecking order and i'm telling you misery loves company and so bullies are miserable people and the only way they can feel better about themselves is if they beat you down so that they feel like they're still up here and you're way down there i I read an awesome quote one time it says it's okay to dislike someone or even dislike someone for no reason but it's not okay to disrespect, degrade, and humiliate that person. I used to serve at First Baptist Grand Prairie uh, there in your neck of the woods. Yeah. And um, a few years ago, Dallas Morning News, there was an op-ed and the, um, the title, the headline was Why Teen Suicide is So Unpredictable. And so it touched on a few things, but one of the quotes, and this was from a high school counselor who wrote this. She said, cruel words are like a knife in the heart. 
many of us adults endured some type of bullying as kids, but nothing like the venom today's social media dishes out on a regular basis. Um, I took a screenshot of a Fox News article years ago. Um, this little precious 10-year-old girl in Aurora, Colorado, a suburb of Denver. Her name is Ashanti Davis, 10 years old. She was bullied and went home and hung herself. So let me finish that topic up by saying David Moloch was a 16-year-old in San Antonio. And a few years ago, he took his life after he was tortured via bullying. Um, and his parents lobbied for what's now called David's Law. And that means that, at least within the state of Texas, but I've also seen it applied throughout the United States. If it can be proven um, uh, digitally that you had any part in the suicide of another individual, you can be criminally prosecuted for that. Mm. I mean, this, this stuff, man, and I couldn't be more grateful for that. And most kids don't know it. In fact, um, when the tagline on David's law is uh, for students to make a pledge that says, I will not use my device as a weapon. And most of it is as a weapon. Um, I want to, if I could, two last things. Yeah. I'd like to give some practical help. Um, we've talked a lot about the topic, but I, I want folks to know how to help. This is pretty heavy stuff. In general, I always tell two things, say two things. Number one, just be present. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Well, <laughs> I came in one time, my daughter Macy was at the house. She was telling my wife, Michelle, something awesome. I came in, had my phone in my hand. I'm in the middle of something. And Michelle turns to Macy. She says, oh, Macy, tell dad. And so I went over. I'm standing one foot from her but I'm still returning that text or email. And Macy's talking to me. She's probably 10th grade. I don't know. Um, and then I hear Michelle say, Macy, just stop. Your dad's not listening. So I was a foot from her, yeah. but I wasn't present. And so I tell students, man, every now and then, a couple times a day, put your phone down and take inventory of those around you. Is there something off with somebody? I mean, even if there's not, just, just ask them, man, are you okay? You sure? So the other thing is to be willing, be present and be willing. So we commonly say, if you need anything, just let me know. Right. But a better response is this. I can see you're struggling. I'm here for you. Can we get through this together? Now there's two bombshells that have just happened. Number one, you have you have validated and um, uh, alerted a friend, somebody that you see. In other words, you're looking. You're actually you actually have put your phone down and you're looking. You care. You're, you're paying attention. Uh, that that video, uh, I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. One of his things at the beginning was nobody cares. Everybody just doing their thing. Later, he says, of course, everybody cares. But. It's the perception, especially of someone whose who's brain may be breaking or broken altogether. But the other thing is, can we get through this together? All of a sudden, you're letting them know you're not alone because that's how they feel. 
Mm-hmm. No one can understand. They, they're, they pl- they're playing this script out in their mind of the world would be better off without me. So on a specific level, what is of utmost importance is to get them talking because hmm. most of them, they're not going to talk about it because they don't want you to get in the way. Houston Chronicle uh, a few years ago talked about this. Communication is key to breaking out of the cycle of hopelessness. And sometimes they can't communicate. And that's true. I've had people say, why didn't Jordan say something? I'll go, man, he couldn't say anything. He couldn't even, he couldn't even complete sentences at the time. And so that's why we have, um, and they'll say, what was he thinking? He wasn't thinking. He, in a billion years, he wouldn't have done this if he was thinking, man. And, you know, I, I've told people, look, um, you know, with the depression thing, to tell somebody, you know, hey, just get over it is equal to telling a double amputee to get up and walk. Man, if they could, they would. And so it's during these times that we must be their voice. And as best as we can. Lance, I heard a speaker say one time that suicide is 100% preventable. That is a lie. It's not. You cannot prevent someone. uh, You cannot protect someone from themselves. I mean, even in an isolated cell, they can starve themselves to death. But what we can do, and I tell this to everyone, when when to err on the side of caution, I'll tell them, look, um, um, do this and this and this. Um, don't be afraid to let them get mad at you, so forth and so on. Because if that person does end up taking their life, at least you'll be able to sleep at night knowing you did all you could do. Hmm. But what if you're laying in bed knowing that you ignored it? And so it's, it's a huge, you know, be present, do what you can, man, to, to get them talking. Will they? I don't know but at least you tried. Now, I want to finish up with that by giving three specific questions to ask okay. to someone you suspect of being in immediate risk of danger or personal harm. Number one, are you considering taking your life? You may think this is counterintuitive because that's the whole reason you're talking to them, but here's why it is so important. They've never said it out loud. Most of them have no, I promise you, my son never said out loud. <clears throat> that I'm going to kill myself. And so you're talking to someone. I've listen, I've done this. I have, uh, I wish I knew these things before, but I didn't. But I've asked uh, a suicidal person, are you considering taking your life? And they couldn't even get it out of their mouth. They finally nodded. And so <clears throat> in way of practicality, if, if you ask someone that and they just sort of shrug their shoulders, you gently, lovingly, tenderly um, say to them, I, I'm not satisfied. I'm not comfortable with that answer. I need to know yes or no. Hmm. The next question. Why do you want to die? Again, tenderly, carefully. These people are on the edge of hopelessness. A a, a condescending, judgmental statement like, why do you want to die? Hmm. Rather than, hey, help me understand. Help me understand, why do do you want to die? Listen, 
sarcasm, condescension, self-righteousness could could be the last you know, poke in the chest that sends them over the cliff, man. Um, so why do you want to die? This, they've, all of a sudden they have to think about it. Yeah. And, and they have to, well, they don't have to, but hopefully they'll articulate it. Most of the time, it's something about family. I, I'm a burden to my family, or maybe I'm not making the grades or, you know, it's self-worth or whatever, but let's use the family as an example. While they're talking about why they want to die, you're listening for reasons why they want to live. For instance, in the family, I, I just don't want to anymore burden my family. You know what you hear? They love their family. Yeah. They love their family. <clears throat> and so um, the third question, this is huge. You're validating them. You're, you're helping them to know, look, you're, you're normal. This is okay. People have been here before. You say, what I'm hearing you say is that a part of you wants to die. You're validating that. And then you say, but I'm also hearing you say that a part of you wants to live. Hmm. And then you say, could I be right? See how tender and caring that is? Yeah. And then the last statement is, so we need to protect the part of you that wants to live. This is a game changer, man. Uh, it is. It, it's things I, I learned at a workshop and is an absolute game changer. I've used these exact questions in crisis moments. Um, Lance, the only thing I would like to uh, close with is a story from a speaker. <clears throat> in fact, she was the first speaker at uh, the workshop I attended at Texas Tech Health Science Center. Uh, her name's Kristen Anderson. Um, so she's up speaking. Now, she's not a mental health professional. She's like me. She has a story. And um, she was telling her story. And she, she's, she grew up somewhere in the upper Midwest. And she had suffered some abuse and was at the end of her rope. She, uh, her self-worth was gone. It was depleted. She was suffering from debilitating depression. And she had reached that stepping off point of hopelessness. <clears throat> so she planned it out. Her brain was broken and she walked outside of town. She lay down on the railroad tracks just outside her community mm. and waited for the train. She knew when it was scheduled to come by. So about 30 cars approach, 30 train cars with the engine, of course, leading the way. And they run over her at 55 miles an hour. She's thrown uh, probably 30, 40 feet from the tracks. To this day, she tells us in that, in that time when she spoke, she doesn't know how she survived. It's an absolute miracle. She, uh, but she's like us, my family. When you go through uh, pain in your life, you have to make a choice. You can either crawl up into a ball and die a slow death like an imploding star, or you can just say, God, today I choose what I believe. And if you'd be so kind 
if you could help me heal and use me in some way. And that's the, that's the decision my family made. Sometimes we have to continue to make that decision, you know? Um, and that's the decision Kristen Anderson made. She was in a wheelchair. She has no legs. Um, but she's married and has a few children now. I can't imagine the world without her. I can't imagine me not having heard her that day. God has used her in amazing ways, which reminds us that regardless of what we've gone through, the pain, as God said through Joseph to his brothers in Genesis 50, listen, what this world meant for evil, I can use for good. Just watch me, you know? And so that's, you know, that's our whole ministry is to, to help people choose to live. So I stood up after she's done. She said, any questions? My hand went up and then I stood up. I'm on the front row. And uh, she said, yes, sir. I said, my name is Nick. My son took his life just a couple of years ago. She said, I'm so sorry. I said, I said, Kristen, I wish it was May 12th of 2013. Um, the day before my son took his life. I said, so I, I can't ask him what he needed before he died, but I can ask you. I said, what is it? What were you missing? And it was very simple, Lance. She said this, I needed to be told you're loved, that you matter, that your loss would be devastating, that you're here for a reason. I needed someone to help me to talk and to keep talking and to remind me over and over again, there is hope and there is help. And of course, to get her that professional help immediately. Last little story is um, <laughs> I had a I had a mental health professional ask me one time. They had I don't know they'd seen a video or something of just how how painful it is for me to give these talks, and she asked me. She said, "Why would you put yourself through that kind of torture?" Here's why. Um, I, the very first time I ever spoke was at the Lubbock Civic Center. It was for a Region 17 something. It was the student leaders from all the regional high schools, so student council and stuff like that. I don't know. There were several hundred kids there. And uh, some by this time, it was two years after Jordan died. It was still before I went into the psych ward, but um, it was January of that year. And they said, hey, would you be interested in talking about this? I said, oh, my gosh. Now I have, you know, I have videos, video clips. I have um, uh, PowerPoints. Back then, Lance, I didn't have anything. I went in there. I spoke four times, 30 minutes a time. And there were about 15 kids in each session. I am hmm. a blubbering mess. I'm not making any sense that I know of. Crying through the whole thing talking about how my son died and what it's done to me and my family. Again, I'm about six months removed from going to the psych ward. I, um, when I was done, my wife said, how'd it go? I went, it was a miserable failure. <laughs> I said, I don't know if anyone heard a thing. The next day I get an email. I still have the email from the school counselor of Monterey high school here in Lubbock. The email said this, Nick, we just had a conversation with one of our students that I, I think you should know about. She said the student came in uh, and said, 
last the student said last night I tried to take my life. I swallowed an entire bottle of pills. He said, but then I made myself throw up. And the counselor said, what, we're thrilled, but what made you, what made you throw up those pills? What made you stop from taking your life? Here's what he said. <clears throat> I couldn't stop thinking about that man who lost his son. And so that's why I do this. <laughs> that's why I do it. <clears throat> so anyway, that's my story. And I hope the, I hope the content helps. Um, and so thank you, Lance, for having me on. Oh, man. There's no doubt this will help, Nick. And, and thank you. Thank you for all the content. But thanks for the story and, the, and man, all of it. That's that's a huge, huge blessing. It's going to help a lot of people, and you're already helping tons and tons of people. Our little corner of the IGO podcast world, but our <laughs> listeners is a very small part of that. But it's going to definitely help, man. I, I really I'm so glad, it. Lance. I'm so grateful. I remember when you first contacted me, and I, I'm very humbled, you know. And it's again, it's my son. God is using, yeah, his story and my son to take the gospel around the world yep. and is an awesome thing. Thank you. That connection. I had no idea when we started this process and that's so cool. Cause that's what, that's what I goes all about. I know. And well, so I didn't either. And that's why I got choked up earlier. I have the story is so never cool. hit me. Oh yeah. my gosh, <laughs> man. Let me, let me, uh, I'm going to close this out with this passage. Second Corinthians one, three. Oh yeah. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And, and Nick, I want to read that and just say, may God continue to comfort you and your family because you're obviously a comfort to so many people. He's using you to bring that kind of comfort to so many. And I'm thank thankful for that, bro. Thank you, Lance. You are my brother. Thank yes, you. Sir. Yeah, Super Summer Brothers for life. For life. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Nick. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, my pleasure, Lance. All right. We'll talk to you later, brother. Yes, sir. <laughs>